0: This is Parsha Talk. I am Elliot Malin, and I am your guest announcer for this week's edition of Parsha Talk, the best and most listened Parsha program in and podcast in Duchess County and I'm gonna pass it over to our great moderator,
1: Rabbi Barry Chester. So this week the boys are back. The boys, the boys are back, back in
2: town. Absolutely Absolutely
1: yeah. Back. And we have of course our third member of our Triumvirate, and Rabbi Jeremy Kamonowski, celebrating this week the
2: fortieth anniversary of his Mazel Barmala, tov,
0: Mazel tov. which took
2: place uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky Congregation Keneses Israel, as they said back there. Knessus Israel, and you know it's good. I've learned a little bit in the last forty years since then, but the partial just keeps getting better. And I am so happy that our that our team of three is back again. I'm honored. It's it's it's. I miss this is
0: the thing that I miss the most. This is, of course, one of the highlights. Absolutely, of this was this is this and not just movie. for the three of I'm us. I'm not a guest. Yeah. Barry's
2: doing a great job. Doing a great job in our absence, but I have to say, I'm going to guess that, that it's not just for the three of us, that many, perhaps most, of our camp community, when they think about returning to Wingdale, New York, they think about Parsha's parsha talk. talk. <laughs> so, if that's the case, let's talk Parsha. Let's talk Parsha, but we do want to mention that Rabbi Malamut is Uncle David Keeb, a man of few words. <coughs> <laughs> but he had packed a lot into he his work. A lot he in in just passed meds. away. Sadik and the funeral be tomorrow, Tuesday. Tuesday, but we wish we wish that his memory be a blessing for your family. Amen, amen. So here we are. Go ahead. So we have this week
1: Parshat Balak, which presents, unlike many other parshiot, a view of how outsiders see the insiders, how the non-Israelite community looks at the Israelite community, or as we would say in our modern period, how the non-Jews look at the Jews. Balak is very concerned, he has seen in the previous Parsha, since he was following the goings-on back then, that the two main kings that were his neighbors have been vanquished, the people that protected him, and now he is concerned, shall we say. Right, let's
0: put it into context. Israel is marching through the desert, and beginning to explore their pathways into the land of Israel they've had unsuccess well they've had they didn't have success with Edom they had to they were rebuffed by Adom and they were attacked by Sihon and the Amorites Amorites um, and um, and and they well, defeated them oh, in, no, in a defensive what? war i might add in which they conquered territory so the question of course is raised
1: really, and how? made settlements is Why is Balak concerned? Yeah, because was, was he no couldn't U. make a
2: peace treaty. There was no UN back then, and <laughs> no. no international law, but there is now. But, so, so,
0: yeah, Balak is concerned because, because he sees the mighty force of the Israelites.
1: And he is fearful, which we can understand, although perhaps if he would have extended an olive branch, he might have been able to arrange for a peace treaty. But instead, he seeks out a well known prophet, diviner of the time, Bilam, and wants him to curse the Israelite people because he knows that whomever Bilam curses will be cursed, whomever Bilam blesses will be blessed, which all good Israelites and Jews believe. the precise language with which God blessed Abraham when he summoned him to be his shaliach in the world, his messenger. So let's go back. The, the, the theme of the
0: way they perceive us is already at the beginning of the Parsha. Okay, Listen, I shall read in the most mellifluous English. As only you can. Balak, son of Tippur saw that all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Moab was alarmed because that people was so numerous. Moab dreaded the Israelites. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this horde will lick Clean all that is about us, as an ox licks up the grass of the field. If that is not proto anti-Semitism, I don't know what
1: it is. Well, it's also anti-immigrant bias. <laughs> That's how we perceive the immigrants. They're going to come and clean up our land, right?
2: But you have to, the, you have to also say that, that it's a uh, it is an echo. There's a, the Torah is, of course, this is one, one of the ways the Torah is such a tremendous literary work is that it quotes and references kind of an echo chamber. It's hard also not to hear parot. Oh, this people is too numerous for us. They they just grow like vermin. Um, And being metaphorized, being compared in a metaphor to an animal, especially a kind of a gross animal, um, a horde You know, sounds an ox is not a gross animal. I think in biblical terms, but but certainly in Pharaoh's, they're just they're they're gross in Verminy, and that of course calls to mind certain events of the 20th century. And as you said, the tropes of anti-Semitism. These are anti-Semitic tropes. So, what really then is Balak's issue?
1: With Pharaoh, we know he's concerned because in the land of Egypt, the Israelites can become more numerous than the Egyptians and kick the Egyptians out of this land. That's the language that we read in Sefer Shemot in the first chapter of Exodus. But here, Balak, I think, knows enough to know that the Israelites are just passing through. They're no. not going to stay.
0: But it's, it's more than that. I think, I think there is an understanding that Israel possesses some kind of special power and that, that is also by the way an anti-Semitic trope that, that you have magical power you are a horde you are animals you and you behave like animals
2: so if that's the case and it makes sense that Balak will summon a magician a magician yeah but I'm going to I'm going to push that back on that a little bit because I think that the the Jewish people um, want to have it often we want to have it both ways yes. right we want to say that's why we're the chosen people because <laughs> we don't want to have to choose yes <laughs> uh, uh, we want to have it both ways. We get upset if other nations look at us and say, oh, come on, this is anti-Semitic if you think that we somehow have powers that you don't have. And, you know, we also kind of think that we have powers that they don't have. We are the segula. we have a special relationship. And, and I think that, you know, I think that that uh, we, we want to celebrate... You know, certainly in the Torah stories, a certain amount of divine blessing. But it gets uncomfortable if if Balak comes and says, "You know, this people is it, is blessed." So, what does that mean? Ki baruchu, ki varuchu. What does it mean? Yeah, well, that's God's that's God's statement. And we were talking about ki And we were talking before the show began that there is a um, a kind of um, a kind of. Uh, 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 you might say, a satire of how people look at prophecy. So Bila, Balak says about Bilam, listen, I know that you have the power of blessing, right? Whoever you curse is cursed, whoever you bless is blessed. That says that the that the, the magician, the necromancer, whatever you want to say, has the power to change the future. What Bilam actually will come to say, perhaps, perhaps against his will, because maybe he likes it, that way, and maybe he likes getting paid for being, for having tremendous power of blessing. But what is going to come out, out of the story is that people who think that they have that power are, are wrong. In fact, they are, if you forgive a small, small uh, uh, wordplay, they are dumbasses, they are dumber than donkeys. And they don't know. And and in fact, God says to them, you do not have power here to curse because this people is inherently blessed. So in the world that Balak and Balam come from, the
1: magician has more power than the gods because the power of magic allows the magician to influence the behavior of the gods. Our book says, no, that God has power over the magician. And that could be the segue then to the next part of our Torah reading which, as Jeremy mentioned, concerns a dumbass,
2: which is not the animal, but the prophet. The prophet riding on a right, donkey. That's the, yeah, the, right the version. I just want to say one thing about the about the rabbinic in, in Chazal, in the Talmudic rabbis' treatment of Bilam. First of all, there's, there's a couple of tremendously interesting statements. We say, V'loh kam od navi b'Yisrael kemosheh, kam od Kemoshe b'Yisrael, that there's no other prophet like Moses and the rabbis have there's no prophet in Israel like Moses, but there is one among the Gentiles. And who is it? Bilam. Okay, Bilam is seen to be, by Hazal, at least in that one case, as exceptionally powerful. And in the Talmud it, it offers that what is Bilam's special gift? Bilam knows when God gets mad and is able to direct the curse. He he just got Bilam just has this this instinct for the teeny tiny nanosecond each day when God gets mad. And he Bilam can can um, you know calibrate calibrate his curse to strike at just the right moment. And and it's exactly I think what Barry is saying, that the conventional pagan understanding is that God responds to the, the 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 soothsayer that's not what the Gemara wants to say. about Bilam, It's that Bilam knows, like how the laws of physics are working, right. Right? the so to speak, spiritual physics are working, so that he can direct God's curse. Do you think he's playing with
0: Balak? I mean, do you, I mean, you, you read prophecy. Prophecy is also what the prophet puts in it, and and here, I mean, his his, his, his language is very artful. We'll, we'll talk about it. Obviously, you know, is he.
1: Is he playing the game? I'm not sure that we get a sense of Bilam as a prophet, because the Israelite prophets have a personality. Yeah. And you could see who they are by the words of God that they speak. But these words are the words of God, not the words of Bilam. Now, we mm-hmm. don't get the sense that Bilam himself is saying them on his own behalf, which is what Balak wants. We, we know that they're God's words. I mean, we don't think that someone who's come to curse the jews
2: is going to say i don't think that's ironic well it, ironic in the sense of what we what we seem to have here is god taking control and reminding us all in this story at least you know perhaps perhaps in other biblical prophecies we get more of a sense like you said about personality clearly Amos has personality clearly jeremiah has personality um, we may get the sense that those guys are poets composing their own words, but we also have them say, Koamara Adunai, this is the word of the Lord, comes to me and says blah, 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 and, and Jeremiah says, I can't control this, this is, this is taking over me. But we strongly get the sense here, there's a, a kind of a spirit possession, that God puts the words in Bilam's mouth, and he becomes simply a mouthpiece. Yeah, but he does take credit for for the words. What does he say? Nuum
0: Balaam Bilam. Right? He, word of Balaam. So he's taking credit for for what God is putting in his mouth.
1: Well, I, I think we can't lose sight of the fact that these words appear not in the book of Balaam, but in the book of oh, Moshe, Moshe right. this is our version right. of Bilam. Yeah, it's right. not Bilam's version, and it would be curious if archaeology archeolo- were kind to us to find a book of Balak and at least the, 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 the three books
2: of Bilam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See how he recorded this story here. Well, Which, that's, that, now that's really interesting because we started to talk before about um, about the story that we tell about ourselves. ourselves. We, we tell a story about ourselves. That we are a righteous nation, that we have principles, and, and when we run into pagans, we tend to have to deal with them and their failings, but really, we are very, very good people. We're good people. Now we have a story that is ostensibly about an outsider looking at us, and lo and behold, he says, we're terrific. Okay. okay. So is there is there a way in which this is kind of superficially an outsider looking at us, but really... It's in the Torah of Moses. And so really, it's our version of what they would but say.
0: But this is one more thing. This is two outsiders talking about us. In other words, so you say, i, I would put it in like uh, A, B, C. You have the story we tell ourselves, to ourselves. Uh, my father was a wandering Aramean. The story we tell our, about ourselves to others. That was in last week's Parsha, where we, we make the dispatch to Edom. We, you know, we were in Egypt, we were saved. And then there's the story that others tell about us to others. Okay so, so here it's Bilam is trying to tell something about us to another to, to invoke God God's power to curse the people but to do that for Balak. Right? So what you know the, those three different ways of, of telling narrative and we have our parallels in our own that we have our own story. Others have a story about us that they tell, that they, they, they rebut to us. Right, and but as healthy.
1: we mentioned earlier, sometimes, at least, if not often, the story that others tell us is anti-Semitic. Exactly. It's not a healthy story. It's not an honest reflection of who we are and what we do. It's a self-serving reflection. So, one of the curiosities, is, you know, Bilam's words are really beautiful. Um, and we quote them, we say them every day when we come to the synagogue. Um, so one of the verses he says is, Ki lo nachash be That you should not think that magic and divination belong to the Israelite people, which raises the question of what really is built on. It seems clear that Balak sees him as a magician. Right, we describe him as a prophet, and in the rabbinic imagination, one of the distinctions between Bilam and Moshe is that Vayikra God calls Moshe, but Vayikar Bilam—he happens upon Bilam—that Bilam does not have this right. divine agency that the Israelite prophets have, which is reciprocal, but that somehow God lands upon Bilam when it suits him, and Bilam goes and gives his message. But this is also a succinct.
0: Compressed uh, iteration of the polemic that the Bible has against magic, and, and the understanding that of of Israel as the non magical people—that pa- it's a people that, that magic and any hint of magic is paganism—and so the, the quote you, you made: "Lo nachash bi'achov, lo kassambi, Lo kassambi Right? No magic means. We, we are to- we are totally
1: dependent on God. Right. And I think the Bible also makes clear that it's not against magic because magic doesn't work. It's against magic because it's
2: unfaithful to God. Yeah. It's but a betrayal of God. It presumes other powers. You know, but it's so interesting because uh, this, what you're saying is, is obviously 100% true. There is a strong biblical polemic against magic. Um, my late congregant and uh, teacher of, of generations of uh, conservative Jews, Yohann Musk, has a great article about prophecy, about the different sorts and different images of prophets. You have, you have, on the one hand, the wonder worker, the Elijahs, and they're really not that far off from Bila. I and mean, there are stories about Moshe that partake of those things, just like last week right. with the story of the Nachash HaNachoshe, the, the, the magic serpent which took away snakebite. That, it's hard not to see at least magical elements in that story. But the main biblical prophet that that Muffs pointed out, the job is to be, is to, to stand in the breach, to advocate for God against the people's backsliding, but advocate for the people against God's in, in, in instinct to punish. Right. And then we later on have these, what people I think like, especially nowadays, when people say, quote-unquote, a prophetic voice, they mean the Amos who stands up and says, you know, you sold the poor for a pair of shoes Uh, uh, you sell the the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes, the prophet who stands up and says, social justice is what it's all about and each of those kinds of prophets appears in, uh, in, in in the Tanakh and here, it's a little. I find it a little bit. Uh, I do think that this story about Bilam is a satire of the magic prophet. But I also think that coming right after the Nachash Nachoshad, it's not like we can get too confident that the Bible doesn't have magic. And it
0: also comes after the water episode, where Moses assumes a certain power himself, and and is punished for that by, you know, by not speaking, by using the magical power. That, that he has to, to, to bring water out of the rock
1: but as we read this story every year you, I, I at least get the idea that for the Israelite prophets the great prophets that you mentioned being a prophet is a calling for Bilam it's a job
2: it's a job, it's he, a job he, because he he makes sure it gets paid uh, he's got that great ironic line you know, there's a lot of parallels between Abraham and Bilam uh, you know they saddle the donkey and we talked about the blessing and the curse uh, one of them is, you know, that that when uh, when Abraham is buying the, the the grave, the the Hittites say, "Oh, what's a mere four hundred shekel kasef, right?" And here Ben-Hom says <laughs> similarly. Listen, if Balak were to give me lots
1: of gold and silver,
2: I still couldn't do that. He, he, he seems to be being a lot right, And then conveniently
1: him. for him, when they come with lots of gold and silver, God says, in Balak's version, okay, you can go. Yeah, you can go now.
0: Well, that's, what, that's the paradox, you know, speaking being as, as great orators here.
1: Uh, it's the paradox oh, speaking of which <laughs> before I forget Jeremiah, Jeremy and I were talking before that each of us has a face for radio but you Elliot you have, have a voice for, for radio, for <laughs> radio. <laughs> so I'll continue about the greater no but but
0: remuneration for for our oratory is 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 often a a, a very difficult you know, it's a paradox for rabbis. You know, for, for people who preach God's that's, word, that's you, know? why you have to take cash.
2: What, <laughs> <good. You> know, <laughs> think of it in all, in all seriousness and in all defense. Bilam had to send his kids to Machanai. <laughs> <laughs> he had to send his kids to Midianite Machanai. Absolutely, they, they had to have they had to have Midianut instead of Yehadut, and they and he had to send them to Jewish day school or Midianite yeah. day yeah. school. And, yes. school. So and when you consider this time period when he lived, and he had at least three or four wives,
1: <laughs> the camp wasn't and so much <laughs> different than the day one.
0: And those are the ones that we know about.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, what are we to make of? Go on. If we could talk for a little bit about his views of the Israelites. So another one of the great lines is
0: Is that a self-perception that we're just projecting into this man? Well, so
1: it's interesting. When we say that, we're a people apart, uh, a people, a nation not to be reckoned, we think that's a good thing. Until we get to the modern Zionist movement where we say that actually we want to be like we want to be reckoned among the nations. But when the non-Israelite says it, is, is he saying it that that's a good thing or that's a problem? Certainly when the anti-Semite says something like that, you're a peculiar people, you're different, it's a, obviously a negative trope. So the, the,
0: the, the anti-Semite is never going to be able to reconcile... The distinctiveness of this people, right? I, I keep going back to to Abraham, right? Uh, well, you remember, can't go
1: back much further. much further, right?
0: You know, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. you know? People who love Jews, they they actually do well in the world, you know, and and they get it. They get that the Jews have a distinct place, a distinct behavior,
1: and they're okay with that. I think possibly because the the philo-semi is secure about him or herself Exactly, that they see their own distinctiveness Right. so then it's easy to see the distinctiveness of someone else and not see that as a threat so the, the disease of
0: anti-semitism then is, is a disease of tremendous xenophobia and insecurity and of weakness that, of weakness. that
2: is the key thing that in the lands where we have lived as Jewish people uh, Islam and Christendom being the, uh, the obvious vast majority of them there has always been pressure on us to not be different. Not be different. Just, look, just be human beings. That is to say, be like everybody else and stop being so distinct. And I, 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 in fact, think that it's an important aspiration for us to be ourselves and be distinct. And I think exactly what you said, that when cultures are confident, they don't need to have everybody be the same. Now, at the same time, it's obviously true... That to think, um, you know, that in the places where we live, we have been influenced by our con- our neighbors and the countries where we live, and that's also kind of a great thing because it's helped develop our culture in all sorts of ways. Right. So, so Yishkon Vagoyim Hashav is uh, is a, an important positive nuance on our identity. And not exactly a sociological theory, but have we internalized that to to our detriment? Maybe have we, uh, you know, and that and that
0: manifests itself in in building building our own goes, walling off our, our place. Look, we we are in a we are in a camp right now. We're not in the world. We are distinct, we we are preserving our uniqueness, but but we can go not very far from here, down Highway 87, and find communities which intentionally want to be separated from
2: the rest of the world. Have we internalized that too much? Absolutely. I I think that the way I look at religion, I think of Judaism as one family's response to what it is to be human. It's not the only... I am a Jewish human being... The gener- general, general common is human being; the specific species is Jewish one, and and I think that uh, the same things that confront our our non-Jewish neighbors uh, confront us too, and our religion, with its uniqueness, is our unique and distinct and different response to common universal problems. But
0: also, and also presents a worldview in which every people can have a unique place and a unique role within God's world
1: well one would certainly hope so yeah. okay. we like to say perhaps way too much that we're not a missionizing people so if on one level we can understand that as believing that there is certainly room for other people in the world and other good people in the world as well. I think what happens sometimes, because of personal circumstance or historical circumstance affecting large numbers of families, is people turn that message inside out, yeah. where there is no other good people in the world, and therefore we don't have to treat the neighbor as ourselves because
2: they are not ourselves in any meaningful way. You know, I, I think that uh, you, you mentioned the term xenophobia and the way that others have... Been for afraid of the stranger or hated the stranger who who is us. I, I also think that in, in the United States, in Europe, we have to pay attention to how to how the foreign and the stranger are, are treated, and in the state of Israel, our beloved state of Israel, the, for the first time since the time of King David, we have you know in our own lifetimes majority Jewish cultures. And what room do they have for their ethnic minorities? And, you know, what are the ways in which, you know, and this is, these are hard questions uh, as yet unresolved uh, with, with how our Jewish societies, our modern Jewish societies, treat ethnic and religious differences. It's interesting that you say that. We had a speaker
1: this past Shabbat from Tri, the TRI program in okay. Israel, and he began with a part that I unfortunately missed. He quoted the author A.B. Oshua, in which he suggested that, and I'm taking out from what the speaker said, so it should not be attributed to him in any way, that I think that Israel has become a national identity, and Judaism is a religious identity. And what Israel has mostly is a national identity. In America, what we have is a religious identity. And while there's certainly overlap, there's also... A distinction, And maybe, you know, one of the problems that we see in Israel as religious Jews is this lack of a large sense of being religious, because that seems to be only the heritage of a few people. And I was thinking about this, so one of the things that Israelis like to say is that they speak Hebrew. But it's been a long time since the majority of the people spoke Hebrew. Like Even today, I don't think a majority of Jews speak Hebrew. That hasn't been true for a very long time. I'm not so sure that that's really part of... Uh, obviously, one needs a knowledge of Hebrew. I'm not trying to suggest that, but it's become part of a national identity rather than informing us religiously. Well, along those lines that we
0: have, we can kind of distill that into what is it that we say about ourselves. And, and, and here we now have two sets of answers to those to that question one set coming from israel one set coming from america and the diaspora all trying to define jewish peoplehood jewish religion in terms that are that are you know part of our own understanding and and i think you know part of what we have been dealing with i think in 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 large measure over the last several years um, is trying to reconcile those two different visions. We are now in uh, a state of peoplehood where we don't have a uniform understanding of the peoplehood. that peoplehood.
2: Yeah, go ahead. No, I just really agree that that's certainly the case. But I, I want to say that I think it's one of our great challenges. Um, and and uh, in in camp each year yeah. with a small but... Notable number of uh, Mishlaha from Israel. Um, I think we have an underexploited opportunity to have those serious conversations because I do think that that the, our two the two major Jewish communities in the world the the North American uh, the broadly speaking North American not just those in the in the fifty United States but uh, I say to our Canadian colleague but uh, <laughs> with uh, a deep voice. The, American Jewish community and the Israeli Jewish community are in some sense like like galaxies spreading out in an expanding universe, getting further and further apart, and less and less opportunities to deeply discuss, you know, what this heritage means to us. I
0: was going to say, the anchor of that heritage is here, and maybe, you know, is, is a kind of imprint on it. We all say that, both in Israel and here. Right. You know, we, we are using the words of a Gentile prophet to identify our uniqueness every time we step into the sacred space. Our sacred our space. space. Our sacred space. Our unique sacred.
1: But I, I think maybe a way of tying this all together is to take note that Bilam's words are about the people in Diaspora. Yeah. They're passing through Midian. This is how he looks at them. And the question, you know, for Israelis, I think a serious question is, how are they to be reckoned among the nations? Because it's very different to be reckoned among the nations as a nation oneself, or as part of a
2: larger nation, but
1: not a Jewish nation. I think that's one of the
0: defining questions of of modern Jewish experience.
2: I want to throw one thing out about the the Parsha, which is, that we, have What's reached, that? that we have reached the we've reached the the spot in um, we've reached the spot in the parsha in the book of Bamidbar where we are nearing the end of the forty years wanderings sure. right yeah. we, they they come out of Egypt they build the mishkan they get the ten commandments or not in that order get ten commandments build the mishkan uh, get ready to enter Eretz Yisrael be rebuffed in the episode of the spies get a forty year sentence and. We don't hear anything about that, 40 years of wandering. Okay, now we're at the end of that. And now we're, we're heading to the, uh, to the moment of crossing. And I wonder if in those 38 basically unspoken years, they maybe didn't have conflict with the various kings. Why is it that Sihon and Og and Balak suddenly decide, Oh, wait a minute, we have to deal with these people. Didn't have to deal with them in the intervening 38 years because there were still a lot of them and they were still moving around. I wonder if um, the Torah is, I mean, to adapt it to the modern question, I wonder if the Torah is, is in a subtle way suggesting that if you stay homeless, well, the other nations don't really need to deal with you that much. It's when you assert that you are about to build something lasting, then suddenly you start to scare people. It's not only assert lasting building,
0: but it's the assertion of boundary crossing. Notice in all of those episodes they are trying to move through boundaries and they don't like that. Nobody likes you crossing their boundary and, and so much of the Torah is about Crossing over boundaries and getting from point A to point B—they just don't like it. They don't. They don't like to have their sovereignty impinged by by this horde.
1: And in fact, that's a major political problem in Israel today. Is determining what the boundaries should be, Indeed. both the national boundaries as well as the religious boundaries. And perhaps this is as good a place as any. We spent a long time today talking about a relatively small part of the Parsha. We have prepared lots of other material. So today we could conclude our discussion of Parshat Balak with the hope for each of us individually and collectively that we'll have further opportunities to talk Torah again. In Dutchess County and elsewhere in the world, nothing nothing builds
0: peoplehood and community like the study of Torah.
2: So can I just throw in the last line of the Haftarah, please? I remember from my bar mitzvah. I remember it like it was yesterday. But you know, at the end of the tractate Makot and the Gemara, they they try to boil down they try to boil down all these six hundred and thirteen mitzvot into a small number of principles. And one of the attempts is cited from the prophet Micha, which we read in Avtarah. Human being, it has been told to you what's good and what God demands of you. Nothing but kiim asot mishpat ve'ahavat chesed is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. And that, if I may submit. Is a very good Jewish motto. Thank you Amen. for the Zachut to be able to study
0: with this beautiful Habrutas. So
1: with that, we wish each and every one of you Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.
0: Shalom.
2: Now is time FM.